Thank you to our brother Robert who continues to put the songs, the hymns together and continues to lead us in that way. It's much, much appreciated. John chapter 17 is our text. John 17 and verse 17. <clears throat> Two things that should never get old to us. One main thing should never get old to the Christian is the gospel of Jesus Christ. One hymn that should never get old, one hymn that should never get old to us is Amazing Grace. Sanctified in Truth, the title of the message this morning, uh, John 17 and verse 17 is our text. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. I had the privilege yesterday of going down to the Bolton Conference in Massachusetts. My type of conference, not too many people, not too far away, good book table, and uh, some good fellowship and good preaching, not necessarily in that order. But it was a privilege, it was a blessing. I was able to converse with several people, I was able to meet a pastor. Uh, that I have been familiar with down in Massachusetts, a young guy, kind of like myself. Um, He has been pastoring for about four years, and he's actually the pastor of Mike Kofsky's mom, and he baptized Tracy, I believe, uh, not that long ago. And so we had a connection there, and we had some conversation there, and he was very encouraging. And let me say to those who do go out evangelizing, who have been going out to evangelizing, specifically those who have been going um, up to Concord, to Hell's Gate, as I call it. Um, I say, if you can evangelize there, you can evangelize anywhere. And if you don't know where that place is, ask me afterwards. But he was encouraged by what I put on social media about that. And so... He, he and a few others have been doing the same in Massachusetts near his church. The darkest place in our state to evangelize is indeed outside the abortion clinic. It was encouraging to hear from this man. Young guy, he works full time and pastors a church and has a family. And he told me, I have some vacation time coming up. I'd really like to take that time and go with you up to Concord and spend that time with you. And I said, amen. I said, please let me know. Also, so I was blown away by that. So be encouraged by that, uh, that he, and he was encouraging us, any evangelism, but specifically there. I was blown away also by the fact that at the conference, uh, the pastor, Jeremy Walker, He preached on sanctification and holiness. And then Dr. Nichols, uh, Stephen Nichols from Ligonier, he preached on 2 Timothy dealing with God's word. And our sermon this morning has to do with sanctification and holiness and God's word. Both topics in God's providence fit perfectly into the sermon, at least from my perspective. Holiness is the lifeblood of Christianity. Without holiness, professing Christians are no better than dead, dry bones. The word for holy and the word sanctify are very closely related terms. Puritan William Ames said, Sanctification is the real change in man, from the sordidness of sin to the purity of God's image. And Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Let us pray before we get into our points this morning. Father, again, I come to you. I look for the help of the Holy Spirit of God. I pray, O Lord, that you would give me unction from on high. I pray you would give hearts pliable to change. I pray you would give energized uh, dispositions, ability to stay alert and awake this morning for the hearers. God, and I pray you would give ears to hear 
and that you would change hearts of those who are lost within our midst. For the glory of Jesus Christ, amen. So several points for us this morning. The first is the what. The what. And we're going to be going to various texts. I'm just going to give you a heads, heads up. We're going to be going to Ezekiel, and we're going to some other passages as well. The what. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. The what is sanctification. Sanctification. Most of us know this term, or we should be familiar with this term and familiar with the process of what it means. It is a process in life by which God increasingly makes us holy. As we, as Christians, turn from sin and turn to Him and embrace practical holiness and personal holiness. By God's grace, we are renewed. Sanctification involves the renewal of the whole man. Sanctification is a work of the triune God, but is particularly uh, ascribed to the Holy Spirit. As Romans 8, 11 says, But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus dwells in you, He who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. And 1 Peter 1, 2 speaks of the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Sanctification is obligatory in the life of the Christian. It is mandatory. It will take place. You are not just chosen for heaven. You are chosen for holiness. As Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 says, the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. The people of God must be sanctified because God is holy. We must be sanctified because we are His image bearers. We must be sanctified because we are born in sin. And when we are regenerated, that starts the beginning of a lifelong sanctification. There is no such thing as an unsanctified believer. As Dr. Steve Lawson put it in a sermon, he says, it is incumbent upon every true believer to be pursuing holiness. And those who are not pursuing holiness are not true believers in the Lord. They may have a profession of faith, he says, but they do not have a possession of faith. Holiness is something that marks true believers. If you are not pursuing holiness this morning, you are not a true Christian. Sanctification can be understood by separating it into three categories. Past, present, and future. Or better stated, positional sanctification, progressive sanctification, and a term that uh, was newer to me, I got got from Steve Lawson as well, is permanent sanctification or perfected sanctification. I would always refer to it as glorification, as as any of us would as well. But if we consider it that way, past, present, and future, we studied these in detail on Wednesdays back in the day as part of our series on Order Salutis, Order of Salvation, Positional is definitive. We are positionally sanctified when we are born again, set apart for God's use. Progressive sanctification is ongoing sanctification. And then thirdly, the glorification, as I borrowed perfected from Steve Lawson, Lawson, perfected sanctification. Positional sanctification, what is this? This happens at the moment that you were regenerated by the Spirit of God. At that point, the Holy Spirit of God indwelled you to never leave you again. At that moment, God set you apart from this world. You were no longer of this world from that moment on. When you are positionally sanctified, you are ushered from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of God. As 1 Corinthians 6 says, says you were, at verse 11, you were washed, but you were sanctified. Positional sanctification. 
but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. When you were washed, you were immediately set apart, justified by faith alone in Christ alone, positionally sanctified, set apart for his holy use. He set you on a completely different path. He gave you a completely new direction, a new road, a narrow road that leads to life. Adopted into his family, a child of God, once being born again, sanctified positionally, you live a different life. You live in a different kingdom than you did previously. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 21 says, The temple of God is holy. First Peter, or Peter calls us in 1 Peter, holy priesthood. Something I was reminded yesterday of yesterday is the various ways we identify a person. You can identify somebody by fingerprints, right? And they've, there's uh, much more technology with that now. Remember back in the day, it was just put your finger on the thing. Not that I've been fingerprinted much, but you know, you know what I mean. And uh, on the paper and such. And then now you can put your hand on there or whatever electronically, and now they've got you in the system. Right, so there's those ways. There's other ways as well. But it's interesting that you can identify someone by the way that they walk, by their gait. Our gait is distinctive. If we know someone, we can identify their gait from far away. They say, oh, I, I, is that so-and-so coming? Oh, yeah, yeah, it is. Look, look, you can tell how they're walking. Yeah, I'm familiar with this person. You can tell who they are by the way that they walk. If you're a new creation in Christ Jesus, you will walk differently than before. Your whole pattern of the way you walk will change. You are a new creature, and you will live like it. And you will walk like it. Because you have been positionally sanctified. And as we go in our, through in our life, we go through the process of progressive sanctification. Present, ongoing, lifelong pursuit of holiness. And in the process of our personal progressive sanctification, we will become more holy. There is no one who is positionally sanctified who will not be in the process of progressive sanctification by the Spirit of God. The doctrine of the lifelong carnal Christian is a lie. It teaches three types of people, the lost, the saved, and the uh, saved who are carnal. The, or the, the, the carnal Christian and the regular Christian, or the carnal Christian and the super-Christian. Everyone who is positionally sanctified will be progressively sanctified. There are no exceptions. Sanctification, in translated from Dutch, is holy making. Holy making. We are indeed Christians sanctified in Christ, and we are being sanctified in Christ. And we take an active role as well. We have a responsibility to play as well. Oftentimes the word duty can be a bad word in some Christian circles. We have a duty to do. We have a, a, a plow to keep our hand to. In Philippians 2, verse 12 and 13, I'll just read it. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He's talking to the beloved. He's talking to Christians that are already saved. So someone could say to the text, well, it says here you got to work in your, you, you have works to your salvation. That's foolishness. He's talking to believers. Now believers, as your sanctification, work out your salvation with fear and trembling because it is God who is at work in you 
both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing as well. So it's God who works in us, and we also work. Because God works in us, we indeed will work. Always dependent upon God, yet responsible to take action. Listen to what J.C. Ryle says. Let us always, excuse me, let us all awake to a sense of the perilous state of many professing Christians. Without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. Without sanctification, there is no salvation. Then what an enormous amount of so-called religion there is, which is perfectly useless. What an immense proportion of churchgoers and chapelgoers are in the broad road that leads to destruction. The thought is awful, crushing, and overwhelming, he says. Oh, that preachers and teachers would open their eyes and realize the condition of souls around them. Oh, that men would be persuaded to flee from the wrath to come. If unsanctified souls can be saved and go to heaven, the Bible is not true. Yet the Bible is true, he says, and cannot lie. Holiness glorifies God. The men in the Bible who we read about took holiness seriously. And as we study the church history, as we think of the Reformation, these men took holiness seriously. You read the Puritans, they took holiness seriously. You read Martin Lloyd-Jones, you listen to Charles Spurgeon, you read his messages. And then we get to a contemporary situation where we are now, where holiness is some type of added extra. How can that be? Where the... Are the pious ones the weirdos, even within a congregation? Holiness is not an isolated incident. When we see that men and women, we read about how men and women did great things for God because God used them in mighty ways, and those who were taken to the stake, those who risked everything for Christ, that is normal Christianity. I was reminded by Pastor Walker to ask these questions of myself, and and you should as well. Will this glorify my God, what I am doing or how I am living? Is this glorifying to God? And And in a practical walk, should I turn this way or should I turn this way, O Lord? God, should I pursue this? Should I indulge this? Or should I fight this, Lord? And asking the Lord, is this what it looks like to walk worthy of the calling for which I have been called, O Lord? Or, I added a question, is this what it looks like to walk worldly, O Lord? So we have our positional sanctification. And as we walk in this life with the Lord, we have our progressive sanctification. And then there is the perfected sanctification, uh, the future, our glorification. This will happen when we will be with the Lord and be perfectly blameless before the Lord. As Paul says, and I'll just read these for you in 1 Thessalonians 3.13 that he may establish your hearts without blame and holiness before God the Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all of his saints. And 1 Thessalonians 5 and 23, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we consider perfected sanctification or we consider glorification, Our minds should go to eternity. Uh, Are we living for eternity? Or are we living so much and focused so much on the things of this world? Uh, How much time do do we spend planning for eternity? Knowing as a Christian, knowing I'm going there, knowing nothing's going to change that, but how much am I preparing for that? 
We would do well to learn from Edwards, stamp eternity on my eyelids, O Lord. When Jesus is praying, sanctify them, as he is here in John 17, verse 17, sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. He is referring to progressive sanctification. They already are positionally sanctified. They already belong to him. As he prayed for the disciples, he prays for the same as us, for us as well. He is our mediator, and he is at the right hand of the Father and ever lives to make intercession for us. And this is one reason why those who are found will never be lost. Those who are sheep will never turn into a goat. Those who are believers will never become like an unbeliever. When a person turns their back once again on the Lord and then turns from a pursuit of holiness to returning to the world, they are like a dog returning to their vomit. So we have the what. We have the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. Now we have the who. Second point, the who. Jesus says sanctify them. Them is a key word for us. Who did Jesus not pray for? Verse 9, I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours. So again, he's praying for his people, not for the world. Who are those who are going to be sanctified? His people. That's who he prays for. He's not praying for unbelievers. He's praying. He's not praying for the world. He's praying for those that belong to him. Who are these? Well, verse 2 says the elect. Verse 6 and 9, all those given to the Son by the Father, the covenant of redemption, those indeed who he gives eternal life to. Verse 10, those who Christ, in whom Christ is glorified. Verse 8, those who received his word. These are all the same people. Verse 11, 12, and 15, those kept by God and those kept from the evil one. Those who are not of the world, it is those who Christ is praying for. He prays for his people to be sanctified, set apart from the world. That is, and there is, what we are separated from and what we are separated unto. We are separated from the world as as Christians. We are to be separated from the world and we are to set apart ourselves and be set apart unto the things of the Lord. It's like the the put off and the put on. I'm setting this aside, but I'm setting myself apart to the Lord. We are separated from the things of this world, and we are set apart unto the things of the Lord. We must have both the put, put down and the take up. In our progressive sanctification, there is... Uh, the positive and the negative, the put off and the put on, the put down and the pick up. I invite you to turn to Psalm 1 briefly, and then we're going to go to Galatians and then Ephesians. I didn't tell you about these, but surprise, we're here. Psalm 1. <clears throat> Familiar psalm. I reference it often. Very practical, though, for us considering our text and our topic this morning. Just going to go through it briefly, quickly. Consider the, what you must lay aside and what you must take up, the put off, the put on, or the negative and the positive. How blessed is the man who does not, there's a negative, walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Now there is a progression there of being more and more comfortable with the things of the world. Stand, sit, or walking with, and then standing with, and then very comfortably sitting with the seat of scoffers. But instead, here's the positive, or here's the put on. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like, therefore, he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season. His leaf 
its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. And then the wicked, of course, are not so. Okay, so we see that. This is what the man does not do. This is what the Christian does not do. Not walk, nor stand, nor sit in the seat of scoffers and sinners and the wicked. But he does this, or she does this, delight in the Lord. And as a result, verse 3 comes. And then Galatians, go there. Galatians, then Ephesians. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5, verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. This is what we do. This is what we ought to do. Walk by the Spirit. Therefore, you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. What are the desires of the flesh described here? For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. And then the deeds of the flesh are present there. Verse 19, 20. Deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, Outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, and factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things are not carnal Christians, but those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. These are the things that are not to be named among us anymore. But the fruit of the Spirit is this, is love, peace, Excuse me, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. See the contrast, the deeds of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit. Now go to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. And this actually, verse 1, is a sermon that uh, Jeremy Walker preached on yesterday. Um, Excellent, excellent sermon. Verse 1, Therefore, the prisoner of the Lord implore you. I implore you, says Paul. I plead with you. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling for which you have been called. And so we go to verse 21 and following. Consider this again. The laying aside and the taking up. The putting off and the putting on. We're talking about sanctification here. We're talking about holiness here. There is action that needs to take place in the life of the believer. Verse 21 of chapter 4. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside, that's what you do, you put down, lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And this is not a one-time deal. This is an ongoing practice of sanctification in our lives. In verse um, 23, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Verse 24, put on the new self, There's the the put on. There's the positive, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, laying aside, there he goes, put this down, take that coat off again, lay aside falsehood, but do what? Speak truth, put this on, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor. We are members of one another. Be angry, that's the positive, but yet do not sin. And do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity. Verse 28, he who steals must steal no longer. But instead, this is to put on, he must labor, performing with his hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Verse 29, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. But, so that's the negative, don't do this, lay these things aside, but 
only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, and anger, and clamor, and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. All these things put aside, Paul says. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. And that's the put on. And we do all of these things. We obey God all of these ways described in chapter 4 because of what Paul laid out in chapter 1, 2, and 3 who we are in Christ and what Christ has done for us. And then we look at duty. Oh, Lord, what, what must I do now? How must I live now? And then the duty Paul tells us. All of this is part of progressive sanctification and walking in holiness. So we have the what, sanctification, the who, the them, people of God. Thirdly, we have the way. The way. That's a new saying, by the way, or a newer saying. I've seen it. They say, this is the way. You'll see it on a meme, and then it'll be a picture of something. Well, people of God, this is the way. And it's called the Word of God. Yeah. And you want to know how power comes from in this church? Uh, on our knees before God. That is the way in prayer. You say, well, how does this happen? Why is it, are good things happening here? Why is someone getting saved over here? The power of prayer. All by God's grace, all according to his will, but he gives us the responsibility to do these things and the privilege to do these things. The way, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. The primary means of your sanctification is the word of God. My sanctification is the word of God. In his truth. This is the chosen instrument by God in the sanctification of his people. The word, this phrase, the word, is prominent in this chapter of John 17. It's all over the place. Verse 6, 8, 12, 19, and 20. Some of them we've been to, some of them we haven't gotten to yet. So obviously if he's saying, if Jesus is saying this over and over, it is important. And sanctify them is, it's an imperative it's not a suggestion. And only Jesus can speak this way to the Father because he is a co-heir with the Father. He is equal with the Father. He's not suggesting this to the Father. Jesus is praying, Father, sanctify them. Consecrate them. Have them be set apart from the world and unto the things of the Lord as in their progressive sanctification. I know some deacon can hear that. Please take care of that for us, if possible. Jesus is praying, Father, sanctify them, consecrate them, have them be set apart from the world and unto the things of the Lord. Let us not get distracted by the noise as we are so easily distracted in this world by our cell phones and other things. That's part of the problem in our lives is we, are, we don't think like we can, like God has given us the ability to. We at times get so distracted. This is the prayer of the Apostle Paul that the God of peace himself may sanctify you entirely. And it is in the truth this is the way, the primary instrument of our sanctification. And just not knowing the truth, but walking in the truth. The truth is necessary for one's positional sanctification first and foremost. Go to Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel chapter 37. Before one is positionally sanctified, before one is justified, regenerated, the person is dead. Dead in their sin. They have a heart of stone. Just as you and I had a heart of stone before the Lord gave us a heart of flesh. As you are turning to Ezekiel 37, I'll 
read from Ezekiel 11 for us. I will give them one heart and put a new spirit within them, and I will take the heart of stone out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh, that they may walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances and do them. Then they will be my people and I shall be their God. And then we see in chapter 37, we have a picture of a man preaching to dead people. A valley of dead, dry bones. And the illustration is, as someone would preach the word of God to lost sinners, they are dead in their sins. They are uh, dead men walking. And this is the picture here. God uses that preaching, the word, and the power of the Holy Spirit to cause them to live. Ezekiel 37, verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me, as Ezekiel was in the vision of the valley of dry bones. And he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. He caused me to pass among them round about, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And lo, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord, God, you know. And he said, here's the word, he said to me, prophesy, that means speak forth over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. So how did these dead, dry bones come to life by the word of God being proclaimed by the Holy Spirit of God? I will put sinews on you, make flesh grow back on you, cover you with skin and put breath in you that you may come alive and you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And then I'll read here 36, verse uh, 26 and 27 as well. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and do what? And cause you to walk in my statutes. This is sanctification. This is personal and practical holiness. To walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. He gives us a new heart. He gives us a new spirit. The old heart taken out. New heart given. Causing us to walk according to his statutes, his word. The word used in making these dead bones live in positional sanctification, the word used in, their, in our progressive sanctification. So we will follow the Lord according to his word. The instrument used to save, the word. The instrument used to sanctify, the word. The power of the Holy Spirit. It is the word that the psalmist says, I have treasured in my heart so that I may not sin against you. And then the author of Hebrews gives us a text we're familiar with. In chapter 4, verse 10, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Another quote from Steve Lawson here, he says, only a holy instrument can produce personal holiness. An unholy instrument can only produce unholiness. And there is only one holy instrument that is primary in our sanctification. And it is the ministry of the word of God, the word of truth in the life of the believer. Consider that. As Jesus says, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. How are we in our daily walks with being in the word of God and listening to the word of God? and meditating upon the Word of God, if it is indeed the primary instrument that God uses, are we taking that into account and living that way? 
It is what God uses in our lives to make us more like him. Since the instrument used by God in our sanctification is his holy word, we are to commit ourselves to the serious, regular study of God's word. It is an impossibility to grow in personal holiness without the word of God. Every believer must be pursuing personal holiness. That is for all of us. If one is not pursuing personal holiness in their life by way of sanctification, they really must check themselves to see if they are even saved in the first place, to see if they are a child of God. An an unholy sacrifice is absolutely unacceptable to God. Paul in Romans 12, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, which is acceptable to God. Personal holiness is a mark of a true Christian. In order for us as Christians to avoid corruption by the world is to be a people of the book, the holy, inspired, inerrant, and authoritative word of God. We would then wholeheartedly agree with David in Psalm 19, 7 and 8. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. As Jesus says, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. To walk in holiness, we are to immerse ourselves in the word of God and apply what it says. Do you desire to be more holy? Do you desire to be set apart by God and for God? Do you desire to turn this world upside down for the glory of God? Then, Paul says in Romans 12, verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be continually transformed by the renewing of your mind in the word of God so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. So we have the what, and that is sanctification and personal holiness. We have the who, and that is them, the people of God, that is us. And the way, primary means of sanctification that God has given us the instrument is the word of God. We would say the word of God in prayer. And the application is the why. The why. The what, the who, the way, the why. The what, the who, the way, the why. It was a great Puritan, John Owen, who said, let not man deceive themselves. Sanctification is a qualification indispensably necessary unto those who will be under the conduct of the Lord Christ unto salvation. He leads, leads none to heaven, but whom he sanctifies on earth. This living head will not admit dead members. And you have to come to Christ before you can go to Christ or go for Christ. Without a foundation, nothing will be built that is last. Doesn't our generation need legions of believers in Christ who are likewise and living by God's word to holiness and have spiritual might? If you're a Christian, a professing Christian, and you say or you can say wherever church you've been in your whole life, And you can say, I've sat under the sound teaching for years and years and years, for most of your adulthood maybe, maybe even your childhood, then you ought to be walking soundly. If you've been hearing soundly for years and years and years, you ought to be walking soundly, not walking worldly. Your gait says everything about you. And so does mine. Our last stop will be in 2 Timothy 3. Second Timothy 3. 
This was the text that Dr. Nichols preached on from Ligonier. The title of his message was Old Paths Versus New Measures. Old Paths Versus New Measures. And the whole conference had to do with discipleship and evangelism in New England. And he said something very interesting, Dr. Nichols did. Now, when someone who is a scholar like he is, a PhD like he is, and I think he's like president of the Reformation Bible College uh, down in Sanford, Florida as well. When he says certain things, um, well, you want to listen to him anyway, whatever he's saying, but uh, when he said this, it really stood out to me. Because oftentimes when we hear things about what's going on today, you get these wild-eyed gunslingers who can say all kinds of stuff. But when he says this, it really, it stood out. He says, for once, when you consider 2 Timothy chapter 3, he says, for once the American church can relate to the original audience of 2 Timothy 3. We are at a two-front war in the church and in the culture. You say, well, what does 2 Timothy chapter 3 say? I'll read a little bit for us. And Paul told Timothy, it's bad and it's going to get worse. Think of that. And he lists how bad it was. Hang on, it's, it's going to get worse. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come, Paul says to Timothy. For men will be lovers of selves, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid such men as these. And then going down to verse 12, indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Notice that. Notice that text. Highlight that text. And he says here, verse 13, but evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But then Timothy is encouraged And we are encouraged when we consider what Jesus says, sanctify them in truth, your word is truth. And by way of personal holiness, sanctification, the instrument used is the truth. We have the sacred text, the word of God. And he says to Timothy, you, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing whom, from who you have learned them. And that from childhood you have learned You have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scriptures inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. And as we consider the word of God and as we come before the Lord, Consider the last words written by Martin Luther. He wrote the first part in German, the second part in Latin. I'm just going to read it in English. He says, we are beggars. This is true. Spiritually, we are beggars. This is true. You think about society today. People can have all the the weapons they want, all the self-defense training you want. You can be strong and built like Arnold once was or Lou Ferrigno or Ronnie Coleman, whatever. You can hike every mountain in New Hampshire, Vermont, in Maine. But if you're not a man of the word and a man of prayer, you will be like C.S. Lewis says, like a man without a chest. You cannot walk worthy of your calling or be a person of prayer 
in the armor of the flesh. We need to submit to the Lord first. And God provided a way of reconciling sinners to himself, did he not? He did this by substituting his only son, Jesus Christ, in the place of guilty sinners like us, sending him into the world to die for his people, delivering Jesus over to death, death on the cross, an atoning sacrifice for their iniquities, and raised him up from the dead for their justification. By this divine act, divine justice was satisfied, God was well-pleased, and God was glorified. And this declares that, and he declares that whoever will come to receive and believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Savior, the Lord and Redeemer, those who will repent of their sin, those are whom will be saved by his grace through the redemption in Jesus Christ. And then will come as a spiritual beggar and receive the bread of life. Do so today. Let us pray. Father, help us to heed the word from John 17, 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. God, your word is clear. You've called us to holiness. You've called us to be a people of your word. And we see how those two just mingle together and are threaded together so beautifully. And Lord, it's hard at times to walk in this world. We're sinners, redeemed, but we still sin. And we understand that. Help us to see that. And help us to see what we've been saved from. And help us to rely on the who who has saved us from our sins. Christ Jesus, our Lord. And let us rely on the strength of the Holy Spirit of God to walk worthy of the calling for which we have been called. For the glory of Jesus Christ, in his name we pray.